0: embracing the fact that things will be imperfect, that procrastination is part of the process, that we can add humor and voice and all the things that make a piece of writing our own. Like we're capable of all of that. And it's not about learning rules, it's really more about tapping into who you are.
1: Welcome to On Your Terms with Erin King, a show about living a life you truly love. Here's Erin. Are you a good writer? I mean are you someone when you send the group email, the big text, the slack message, you have a presentation, a pitch, social media content. When you write, do people stop their scroll or stop what they're doing? Lean forward and say those three magical words. Tell me more. Well, if you're not sure, good news. Whether you have a book in you that you have been dying to write, or you're someone that just wants more yes, more collaboration, more creativity from your teams, your peers, your clients, today's guest is the one and only Anne Hanley. Anne is the Wall Street Journal best-selling author of Everybody Writes, your go-to guide to creating ridiculously good content. And if you can't tell by my tone of voice, I am a super fan. Back in 2014, I bought 10 copies of Anne's book and I gave it out to everyone on my team and it completely radically evolved the way that we created everything from captions to emails to video. She is a total genius and her company Marketing Profs has educated more than 600,000 marketing subscribers around the world. Her B2B marketing forum is the premier global marketing event for B2B marketers. Her books have been translated into 19 languages including Turkish, Korean, Italian, Chinese, Japanese. a total influencer on LinkedIn with more than 420,000 followers on Twitter. And she's been featured in Entrepreneur, Mashable, HuffPo, and The Wall Street Journal. and was cited in Forbes as a top thought leader. It goes on and on and on. But most importantly, and is a fellow dog mama. She's obsessed, like I am, with Cavalier King Charles spaniels. And I'll tell you this, my favorite thing about Anne is that she has a tiny house office, which houses her vintage typewriter collection. This conversation with Anne was not long enough. We will get part two, but if you are looking to elevate your writing, to become a more persuasive, powerful, influential, and clear communicator or leader, this episode is for you. Welcome to today's episode of On Your Terms. I'm Erin King. Welcome. Today I am so pumped to bring all of you one of my all-time favorite writing crushes, which is a thing, the one and only Anne Hanley. Anne, welcome.
0: Oh my gosh. Well, you know, I am such an Erin King fan. So I mean, the honor is truly mine
1: okay where do we start i don't want to be oh creepy gosh. i don't know if we've actually met in real life which is super weird but a couple things here um oh my
0: goodness I, I don't think we have How i have don't we? think we have which Ooh, is that's bizarre. so interesting because i feel like i know you that's one of the
1: beautiful things about social media there's so much darkness and so much negativity but that really is one of the coolest parts yeah. i think and right now in this recording i am wearing a necklace that has the initials S and N on it because Anne is a fellow dog mama and I had a dog mama trauma uh, about two years ago and she was just so empathetic, so kind. Sent me this beautiful necklace to commemorate my little baby that I lost in a terrible accident and gave me just really kind support and advice and a mom that's been there. And I just, it was a really dark season for me and I just, I really appreciate you first and foremost as a human Mm. because that was a really beautiful gesture. So thank you. Oh,
0: thank you. That means a lot to me that you're wearing it. It's so it's so nice. And yeah. I mean, dog so. moms, no dog moms, right?
1: Just mm-hmm. yeah. There are babies. Mm -hmm. And so prior to your kindness, the year was 2014. And you know, I was running my social media agency. I had 10 W2 employees. I didn't know what I was doing, but what I knew was that the content that was coming down the pipeline was not strong enough for this English major CEO. So I bought 10 copies of Everybody Writes, made everyone go back to school. And let me just say this, my parents could have saved four years of my English major degree tuition. Had they just given me that book, it would have been, an expedition of, of the greatest kind. So if you are listening to this and you have a child that wants to be an English major, just get the Anne's book and you can save six figures a revenue. Hashtag you're welcome. So, so basically
0: so- it's a college education in like 400 pages versus, I don't know, 140,000, something like that.
1: Well, it's true. And honestly, without trying to sound too, you know, like fawny, make your head blow up. It really is sort of a Bible in the way that mm. every page and chapter is so laden with the lessons and the analogies and the advice. My original copy from, I guess now it's been whatever, eight years ago, it is yeah. highlighted. It's dog-eared. I go back to it. My last two books. I wrote with your book next to my computer and my third book's coming out in the spring and you better believe for final rounds, this is required reading for my entire team. So guys, everybody writes, it's 10% funnier. Let's just start there. It finally arrived yesterday and I'm going to start at the back actually of the book because when you read a magazine, Anne, are you front to back or back to front?
0: I'm actually back to front. It's funny that you noticed that. Same. So we're going to start on page
1: 395, the epilogue a writer who waits for ideal conditions under which to work will die without putting a word on paper done is better than perfect for our entrepreneurs for our aspiring writers for our content creators is this the big block that keeps us from writing the book that is inside all of us
0: i think it is one of two blocks it's a big one though and It comes from this feeling that not only do the conditions have to be perfect, you know, you've got to have your desk just so, you've got to have... Uh, Everything teed up. You've got to have the right temperature of coffee or tea or water next to you. It's like everything has to be just so. You've got to have like the right inspiration and all of that. But I think the second thing is that you feel like when it comes out of your head or your fingers, whatever the case may be, that it has to be perfect. And so I included that as the epilogue because I mean it in two ways. It's like, yes, the conditions need to be perfect, but also we have this sense that the words that come out of us have to be perfect. And Mm. They don't. They never will be. Like, here's the thing, Aaron, I spent a year writing this book. I mean, in reality, six months of concentrated effort, sweating, crying effort, and then, you know, <laughs> six months of procrastinating because I am a writer and that's what writers do. We procrastinate mm-hmm. for a while until finally our butt is on the line and we have to get it done. I think that's true of a lot of us in terms of our, our craft and our creativity. But this book is not perfect. You know, I spent a lot of time. I labored over every single word, but it's not perfect. And there's things in there now that even when I go back, it's only been out three weeks and I go back and I go, oh, why did I say it that way? And it's just part of the process and you've got to just let it go with love and move on, spend some time reconciling your emotions if you need to. But I think the reality is that nothing is ever perfect. The conditions will never be perfect and our work ultimately won't ever be perfect either.
1: Mm, It's so good. Actually, I was in Amsterdam like two weeks ago. went to the Van Gogh Museum. And Mm. it reminds me of all those paintings where, as an artist, it's when do you put the brush down? Because if you keep brushing, you keep going, then it goes from this beautiful scenery, this beautiful scape of whatever, and then to a hot mess. Mm. And so there's that interesting line that we're always trying to figure out. And I love, you know, on page 63, you have a chapter called Think Before Ink. Throughout this book, by the way, you guys, it's just like the one-liners. I love a good zinger and they're very not in your face, but they're threaded throughout. Chapter 13 is called Think Before You Ink, which Anne also says would be the perfect tagline for a tattoo studio which is hilarious. right? As someone who has a tramp stamp, I really wish I had this chapter back in the day. My 21st (laughs) birthday, hate Ashbery, Jerry Garcia's tattoo studio. It was supposed to be a Trinity knot that's supposed to be this way. And the guy convinced me to turn it upside down. It is now an arrow pointing to that area of my body. Hashtag all the regrets. Keep going.
0: That is (laughs) hilarious. That's hilarious. I think there's a whole Instagram account Dedicated to tattoos that needed a proofreading. So, you know. Totally.
1: But, you know, it's funny, but the chapter is kind of interesting because you sort of authorize us a side conversation for procrastinators. Mm -hmm. And I love when you said some writers, including me, write as a way to figure out what we think. And it's so interesting because whether you're a Julia Cameron morning pages devotee or there are some of us that process on the page. And I love that you're a fellow Process on the page type yeah. gal. Yeah. Whether the person listening is like, gosh, I need to write this book, or an everyday content creator, or you're just talking about upleveling your Slack messages, your group texts that no one responds to, your GIF, or you know the awkward chain emails with the passive aggressive tonality, like whatever your jam is. What I love is that you kind of give us this beautiful permission around procrastination, where you say, look, I'm paying the bills, I'm doing Netflix, I'm hashtag kind of changing the oil in my car, even though it's mm-hmm. a metaphor because you've never actually done that, which is hilarious. Never can make me make something really complicated for dinner i'm blowing all the punchlines but you give us this idea of like even though you have those down times in those moments you are processing Mm -hmm. so procrastination is a processing for some of us creatives so maybe don't always beat ourselves over the head about it but really embrace it as part of that journey
0: yeah exactly you know i joked a minute ago about how you know yeah i'm a world-class procrastinator that that the book took me a year to write even if i was only actually working for six months but the reality is like as you say erin that procrastination is part of the process Mm -hmm. and i've realized that and i definitely realized it with this book but i've definitely realized that you know for me and for so many that that is 100 percent part of the process that your brain is still working on it thinking about it turning over ideas whether or not you are actually sitting your bottom in a chair and writing, it doesn't matter because the thinking piece of it is as critical as the actual writing of it. You know, it's brand new in the second edition. I really talked more about the emotional side, I guess, of writing, because it's not just about knowing the rules of grammar and knowing, you know, where to put a subject line and knowing the difference between affect and effect. Like, yeah, that's good to know, But, you know, this isn't a book that's going to teach you grammar, per se. It's really a book that's going to help you through the process of writing. And part of that is, to your point, being okay with just procrastinating for a while and really understanding that there is a lot of emotional baggage around writing, that some of it we can let go of, like, for example, letting go totally of this feeling that we're not writers, I don't know how to write, you know, all that kind of garbage that some of us have internalized. So, letting mm-hmm. go of that. But also, you know, embracing on the other side this the fact that things will be imperfect, that procrastination is part of the process, that we can add humor and voice and all the things that make a piece of writing our own. Like, we're capable of all of that. And it's not about learning rules. It's really more about tapping into who you are.
1: Mm, It's so well said. I always sort of prided myself on being a writer. You know, I was like the editor of the school newspaper and I wrote a 100 million poems. And I was always like this obsessed with language. And there was this distinction, our identity as writers, you know, Mm -hmm. writers. But now writers in 2022 are just humans. Mm -hmm. Are you a human? If you're a human, you're a writer, (laughs) right? And so there's this huge need for what you're sharing. I really was exceptionally interested in chapter 12. In my keynote and in what I preach, I talk a lot about what I call radical empathy. You use an even better word, shocker, pathological empathy, which is even more radical than radical empathy. So I was like, of course, she got me on that. But let's talk about that a little bit. Why do we need to develop pathological empathy when we're writing? I think this is the most important chapter of your whole book personally, but tell us more about that.
0: Pathological empathy. I mean, I think it's exactly what you just articulated a minute ago. We need to think about things, not from what we want to say, not about our own products and our services and what we can do, but rather what we can do for others. Mm -hmm. It's a very subtle shift, but I think so many of us, we're excited about what we do and what we have to offer, but we just need to make that little bit of extra Like the little, yeah, and remember that it's really about why does this matter to your customer? And so pathological empathy invites you as the writer to walk a mile or so in the shoes of your customer. And I offer you some like sort of step-by-step actions to figure out how to do that. The more that we can think about things with whether it's radical empathy or pathological empathy or pathologically radical empathy, let's just combine the two of them together <laughs> and call it a day. The more that we can think about things from our customers' point of view, the better we'll get at it. And yeah. more immediately that we'll be able to shift our mindset into why it matters to others. I used to bristle at that word empathy sometimes because I used to think to myself, you know, well. I'm not very empathetic. I mean, I'm incredibly self-involved. But the reality, Erin, is that we are all incredibly self-involved. Like, we think about ourselves way more than other people think about mm. us. Empathy is something that the more we work it, the stronger it gets and the better that we'll get at it. When we write, we do tend to write from our own point of view. And again, whether it's a email outreach or whether it's a sales outreach, it doesn't matter. We tend to write about things from our own point of view. And I invite you to then think about, well, why does this matter to your customer? And through Mm -hmm. a series of exercises to kind of take you there.
1: And this book is very tactical. I mean, it is the step-by-step frameworks. It is the questions. Mm -hmm. This is not the high level, add value, you know, focus on your customer. I mean, you really do get into the nitty gritty. One of the takeaways that I really loved. And if someone listening to this is similar to me, whether you are a, a contender, you're a trainer, you're a coach, you're a leader of any kind of team. One of the biggest keys that I have recently stumbled on that I've never even thought about is in chapter 27 where you talk about the importance of finding a writing partner mm-hmm. and you said there should be a hinge or a match.com for writers there should be I, I was like okay someone invent this this is the billion dollar shark tank idea because you know i have a girlfriend one of my dearest friends is an, an la producer i don't want to like brag but i was in a really fancy hollywood party like a month ago and i was like oh my gosh this is so cool so she's asking about what i do as a speaker and and she's like well you guys have writing rooms right like you don't you don't write in a vacuum like you're not writing Writing your keynote or your slides or your content by yourself, are you? And I was like, all the time. I'm yeah. writing by myself all the time. And she looked at me like I said that was like the craziest thing she'd ever heard. She goes, Everyone, I don't care if it's stand up comedy, script writing, the best storytellers in the world in Hollywood and New York, you're in a writing room. You're vibing off people's ideas and creativity. And her mind exploded when I told her that in the business world, most of us are creating and writing in a silo. So I loved that chapter.
0: That is such a great point. I've actually thought about getting a bunch of writing friends together, you know, people like me and you and Dean James and like all of our friends, you know, and kind of putting everybody together and having a kind of writer's room because wouldn't that be amazing? Like, it'd be so valuable. I mean, I think having a writing partner is so critical, but you're absolutely right. Like in the business world, we don't tend to do that. And Mm-mm. it's like every blog post and every newsletter and every presentation that I give, like I write it a hundred percent on my own and I don't really know how it's going to land without getting some feedback from somebody. And so I do have a writing partner, you know, who functions as partly the person who can give me feedback on writing, but also a kind of accountability partner, because I think both of those things are so critical. Somebody who can actually prod you to do your best work, but also who can make sure you actually do the work. So yeah. to me, there's such value in that. And yes, a hundred percent, there should be like a hinge or a match.com mm-hmm. for writing partners. It's such a critical part of the process.
1: Totally. And just like dating, you had to kiss a couple of frogs. I mean, even yeah. you mentioned Neen, you know, we have a mastermind group called the She Noters, and it's Tamsin Webster, Neen James, Tammy Evans, and myself. And the four of us, we get together and we are very intentional about how do you want this feedback? What are the areas that you're in love with that are locked and loaded? Please don't touch it. Do not pass go. Do not like $200. Like no. And then what are the areas that are open for some punching mm-hmm. up? What are the areas that are open for some reworking? And I just think that that whole conversation and how we could cultivate that, Mm -hmm. even not even as an author or a keynote speaker level, but in a business setting. I mean, I recently coached a CEO here in Irvine. He was given a keynote to 20,000 people at MGM Grand Arena and he was just kind of writing it by himself and didn't really get a lot of feedback. And so we AB tested it and we did different groups and focus groups and we tested the heck out of it before we actually brought it to the stage. And I don't know that that kind of due diligence happens as much as it should.
0: Yeah. I was just going to say, I mean, the other side of that that I see from the marketing end of things is that I see a CMO whose team or whose PR firm creates a presentation for you know him or her or them, and then they hand them this fully formed thing, and they're like, okay, here it is. It's yours. Go do it. Go deliver it. And that, to me, is another lost opportunity. And again, it doesn't have to be a presentation. It can be almost anything. I see lots of like ghostwritten articles, for example, mm-hmm. you know, same process where someone just hands them something. And I think that that's a missed opportunity for that executive, because that executive should be thinking about, how am I communicating? How am I coming across? It's their brand, you know, Mm -hmm. and they should be thinking about, what is my voice? I think that in business, we forget that, you know, our voice is our emissary. You know, it's our thing that will Mm -hmm. signal to others, whether we are trustworthy, likable, whether they have any kind of affinity with us. Like, do we look at the world the same way? All of that stuff in 2022 heading into 2023 matters so much, you know, much more so than ever before, especially in a post-COVID world, you know, where we're having conversations like this a whole lot more and where our our content and our words are carrying messages for us. And so I feel like the more that we can sort of just remind ourselves of that and embrace that opportunity, the better off we'll, we'll be.
1: It's so well said. And, you know, we have a lot of entrepreneurs that listen to this podcast. We talk a lot on Instagram about personal branding. I feel like one out of every three Instagram accounts is a personal brand expert. That's a made up stat like most are, but I really leaned hard into your chapter 47 about brand voice. I mean, you are an elite marketer. We've worked a lot of fortune 100s, fortune 500s. So you're used to message at scale, but I found a lot of takeaways from the questions you raised at a personal brand level, at a solopreneur level. So when we're trying to create the avatar, the icon, they see a bullseye, they know it's Target, right? These next level brand recognition moments. What do you think is sort of one of the things that you see over and over and you're like, okay, if I could just stop you and just pause for a minute, maybe we don't that, you know?
0: Yeah. I don't know if it's a mistake, but I think that we start in the wrong place. I talk to a lot of marketers, a lot of executives, a lot of entrepreneurs who really want to develop a personal brand and they start with the visual. But mm-hmm. the reality, Aaron, is that what's really recognizable is my voice. So I think if we can start with our voice and think about how do we communicate? How do we say something? not just what we say, but how we say it. And so mm-hmm. I think the stronger you can make your voice, or like here's a very specific example. Mm-hmm. When I read your email, Aaron, one of the things that I really love about being on your list is that if I couldn't see that this came from Aaron King, I would know it was you because I know your voice. Mm-hmm. You know, I know what you sound like. And that to me is like the ultimate branding. It's literally just letters. There's no visual identifiers. And so think about focusing on that, And then that's where I think the brand, the visual elements grows out of that. I think right now we tend to approach it the opposite way. Like we think Mm -hmm. about the visual identifiers and not the voice. They very much need to go together, but I think it starts with how we communicate.
1: Oh, it's so well said. There's so much in this book for anyone that is trying to figure out what do I say? What do I type? How do I show up? You really provide a very clear framework, which I'm ashamed to admit, I have never really followed a proper writing framework. And so it really does make you feel like, okay, step one, step two, and it sort of builds and builds and you find yourself going down the rabbit hole in the best Mm -hmm. possible way. I think anyone that wants to change how they're being perceived that wants to be perceived with more gravitas or more persuasion power more influence they want to get their team rowing in the same direction Mm -hmm. they want more collaboration they want to shoot bring back creativity whatever it is that that you're trying to communicate whether it's via slack or email group text it's just a great book to just hey, sit down and think to yourself i work on how i look physically, you know, if you're a person that works out or eats healthy, you work on your perception around how you communicate yeah. verbally. This is where it starts. I mean, it starts yeah. on digital to ignite dialogue later. This is step one. I can't wait for everyone listening to this. We'll have all the links to the book. There's a twofer on Amazon. You can grab, what is it? Two copies. You get one free. Yeah. Well, I don't
0: know how long it's going to go on for. So rush over there right now.
1: Get it. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, Russia, we'll right. we send the links. I have so much more I want to talk about. Maybe we can do round two in a month yeah, or let's two. Let's do when part two. Yeah. You're publishing madness. You have a keynote in like five minutes. So thank you for spending time with us on the fly. Oh my
0: and gosh, you're amazing.
1: You are amazing. This book is so great. You're so great. And I hope we get to meet in real life sometime soon, which is crazy. I don't think we have, but I cannot wait. So thank you for being uh, uh, uh. here today.
0: Oh my God. Big love. Love you so much. Thanks, Sandra. Well, friends, what did I tell you?
1: Anne is the godmother of every writer's personal coach that needs to really feel clear about their process, really understand how they can be as clear, concise, and powerful as possible. As you can tell, as I said, I am a super fan, and now I'm hoping that you are too. Check out her book, Everybody Writes, on Amazon. For a limited time, it is available. If you buy two, you get one free, so get in there get writing, help your team, and I'll see you next time. Thanks so much, friends.